And let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans, chapter 14. And I'm going to read and preach verses 10 through 12 this morning, 10 through 12, verses about the final judgment, the judgment of God that will happen when Christ returns, and how the knowledge of that future judgment should actually influence the way we treat each other in the present, the way we treat each other in the body of Christ in the here and now. Paul's point in these verses is that when we have disagreements with each other in the body of Christ, we shouldn't pass judgment on each other or despise each other for two reasons. One, because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, so he's the judge, not us, and therefore we shouldn't pass judgment on each other. And number two, because we will all give an account of ourselves to God. So how we treat each other will influence the rewards God graciously gives us in glory. And I know that can be a bit of a confusing topic sometimes, so we'll try to get some clarity on that together. But even though we shouldn't pass judgment on each other or despise each other for those two reasons, because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and because we will all give an account of ourselves to God, it's important for us to remember that as Christians, we do not have to be afraid of the final judgment because ultimately we will stand before God cleansed by the blood of Christ and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So though we should be affected by the final judgment, we don't have to be afraid of the final judgment because we are cleansed and clothed in Christ. Well, let's look to him in prayer now together and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood and righteousness that are ours by faith. Help us to keep them always in view as we look at this passage together. Help us to be challenged by these truths that we'll consider about the final judgment, but in a way that never loses sight of you, our Savior and our Lord. Transform us now by the renewal of our minds by your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans 14, reading verses 10 through 12. This is the living and active word of God. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're gonna look first at the searching questions Paul asks in verse 10, then at what he says about the judgment seat of God at the end of verse 10, reinforced by the quote from the Old Testament in verse 11. And then thirdly, we'll look at what verse 12 says about giving an account of ourselves to God. There are two of these searching questions Paul asks in verse 10. The first is, why do you pass judgment 
on your brother? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And that's addressed to the weak in faith. Like he said back up in the middle of verse three, if you look back up at verse three in the middle of the verse, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So this first question in verse 10 addresses the weak in faith. And Paul challenges them, why do you pass judgment on your brother? But he has a question for the strong in faith as well. The second question in verse 10 is, or you, why do you despise your brother? Like he said back up at the beginning of verse three, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So both the strong in faith and the weak in faith are asked these searching questions here in verse 10. He's just told them, when you disagree with each other about a secondary matter, you should recognize, remember what he's been saying in this chapter, you should recognize that you're all seeking to honor the Lord. You're all seeking to live to the Lord in your view, in your practice on the matter in question. You're all trying to live under the Lordship of Christ who lived and died for us and rose again for us. So in light of that, in light of all those truths and realities, why would you pass judgment on each other or despise each other for holding a different view or practice on a secondary matter? You're all on the same team, so why would you compete against each other? Christ is your Lord and you're all seeking to honor him, so why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? Paul's saying, these are searching questions. And when we come across questions like these in the Bible, when we encounter them in our daily Bible reading, for example, we should think of them as sort of being like a little flashlight that God has left there for us to find, that we can use to search our hearts, to examine our hearts. We can take them and shine them into our hearts and see if we're doing what the question is asking. See if there's any sin in our hearts that we need to repent of and ask the Lord to forgive us for that sin and to remove it from our heart and our life. We can do this in family worship as well or in one-to-one discipleship. If we're reading a passage of scripture together and we come across one of these searching questions, we can pause and ask it of each other and have an open and honest discussion under the searching and purifying light of God's truth. So for these questions, let's pick up the flashlight and ask ourselves, am I passing judgment on any of my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this church or perhaps elsewhere? Or am I despising any of my brothers and sisters in the Lord? If we are, we of course need to confess that sin to the Lord and we need to remember what we will learn about in 1 John this evening that the Lord will be faithful and just to forgive us for that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We should pray and ask God for a change of heart, a change of heart towards the other brother or sister. We should find ways to move towards them in love with the same kind of love that we have been shown by Christ. So I encourage you to pick up and use the flashlights God has left for us in his word. In particular, these searching questions 
Paul asks here at the beginning of verse 10. While the message is clear that we shouldn't pass judgment on each other or despise each other, but why shouldn't we? Why should we not do that? Again, Paul gives us two answers, like I said at the beginning, and the first is because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Let's look at that now under our second main point, the judgment seat of God. Paul says at the end of verse 10, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Don't pass judgment on each other because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So God's the judge, not us. Only God is the judge of all the earth. You shouldn't judge your brother or sister because God is their judge, not you. God is their master. They will stand before the judgment seat of God. You will stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Therefore, we shouldn't pass judgment on each other. What is he talking about here when he refers to us standing before the judgment seat of God? Well, he's talking about the final judgment, which will take place when Christ returns, when God will sit on his judgment seat, his judge's bench, his throne, and he will judge the living and the dead, everyone who's ever lived, and he will separate the sheep from the goats, his people from his enemies, and his enemies will go away into everlasting punishment and his people into eternal life, as Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46. But here he's emphasizing the fact that we believers will stand before the judgment seat of God. And though we will be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment, as our shorter catechism says, Though there will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8.1 says, there will be an evaluation of our works to determine the degree of our rewards. Like I said, that can be a confusing topic sometimes. We'll return to that in just a minute since he's gonna talk about that down in verse 12, about each of us giving an account of ourselves to God. Uh, But for now, let me say two things about this statement here at the end of verse 10 that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And the first is, I think as we read this statement, it should produce humility in us. It should grow humility in our hearts. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That should humble us. When we have disagreements with each other, when we're tempted to pass judgment on each other or to despise each other, often there's pride at work in our hearts, isn't there? We tend to have an inflated view of ourselves. We think we're right and the other person's wrong. And while we may be right, we may not be, but while we may be right, our attitude is often not right. We're more interested in winning an argument than treating the other person with kindness. But when we come face to face with this verse, this truth, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It should humble us. It should shrink us down to our right size. 
because we're all gonna be on the same side of the bar in the courtroom of God, and there's only gonna be one person on the other side of the bar, and it's gonna be God, not us. And knowing that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God should humble us when we are tempted to be prideful in the midst of our disagreements with each other. So let's all together be humbled by this truth and ask God to grow humility in our hearts by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, second thing I wanna say about this statement, in addition to growing humility in our hearts, this verse reminds us of the reality of the final judgment, the realness of the final judgment. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will. It will happen. And actually the reality of the final judgment is backed up by the quote from the Old Testament in the next verse, in verse 11. For it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 45, 23, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Notice it says, for it is written. And let me just say briefly that whenever we come across a phrase like this in the Bible, it should remind us of the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Bible, of the fact that Scripture, God's own word, is the highest authority in the universe and in the church, and in each of our lives. And when Paul wants to appeal to authority, he does not appeal to his feelings. He does not appeal to his experience. He does not appeal to the experts. He appeals to the Bible. He appeals to the written word of God, which was the Old Testament at the time. He quotes the authority, God himself. And so these phrases that we come across in the Bible, like the one here, for it is written, should remind us of the authority of Scripture, that God's word is the ultimate authority in our lives. Not our feelings, not our desires, but God's own words, which are words of life for us, words that are powerful to change our lives so that we become more like the author, so that we become more like Jesus. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, etc. That is, as surely as I live, so surely is what I'm about to say true. You couldn't find a stronger confirmation of the truth than that it's as certain as the life of God himself. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And you can see why Paul quotes this. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. If it is written that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, then it is certain that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's how those two statements tie together. Paul quotes the same Old Testament passage in Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11, where he says, therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All people at the return of Christ, not just believers but also unbelievers, all people will bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. The people of God will do so gladly and willingly and in triumph. The enemies of God will do so begrudgingly and reluctantly and in defeat. But all will bow and all will confess that Christ is Lord. Sort of like in a victory parade for a king who's been victorious over his enemies in battle. And as he goes along the streets, his loyal subjects bow in celebration and with joy in their hearts, while his conquered enemies also bow, but with rebellion still raging in their hearts. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. As surely as the Lord lives, This is what's gonna happen. This is the reality of the final judgment. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's the first reason why we shouldn't pass judgment on each other because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The second reason is because we will all give an account of ourselves to God. And let's look at that now under our third And final main point, giving an account of ourselves to God. Paul writes in verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He's already said in verse 10 that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and he's backed that up with the quote from the Old Testament and now he tells us what's gonna happen when we stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. No exceptions. Each of us will give an account of himself to God and it will be a full accounting. Each of us will give an account of himself to God, not of someone else. And each of us will give an account of himself to God not to anyone else. And therefore, we shouldn't pass judgment on each other because how we treat each other will influence the rewards God graciously gives us in glory. Now let me say a few things about that that hopefully will help bring some clarity to what is sometimes a confusing topic. Three things. First, let me say something about the purpose of this accounting. The purpose of this accounting is not to see if you have enough good works to gain admission into heaven. It's to evaluate and bestow rewards upon those who are already citizens of heaven. Remember Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation now And there will be no condemnation then for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this accounting is not about determining 
whether we'll be condemned or acquitted, again, as the catechism says, we will be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. Rather, it's about determining the measure of rewards we will receive in glory. Again, the purpose of this accounting is not to see if you have enough good works to gain admission into heaven. It's to evaluate and bestow rewards upon those who are already citizens of heaven. Secondly then, let me say something about the rewards of this accounting. The rewards of this accounting. The rewards of this accounting are gracious, non-meritorious awards. awards. In other words, we don't earn them by our good works like we might earn a paycheck. We don't merit them by our efforts like we win a gold medal. Rather, God gives them to us by his grace. He bestows them upon us by his mercy. Yes, in response to the good works we have done, but not as a payment for what is owed, rather as a gift in response to what we have done by his own enabling grace. As our confession puts it in chapter 16, paragraph six, summarizing the teaching of the Bible on this, the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. And we know, we feel those many weaknesses and imperfections in our works, and that's, I think, why we struggle with this. But even though our good works are accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections, God looks upon them in his son. And he is pleased to accept and to reward that which is sincere. Let me show you briefly two passages on this. Turn ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a minute. Or you can just listen as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read verses 10 through 15 of 1 Corinthians 3. Paul writes in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward." If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, meaning the loss of rewards. He'll have less of a reward, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So our work will be tested, and if what we've built on the foundation of Christ survives, we'll receive a reward. 
But if our work is burned up, we will suffer the loss of rewards. We'll have less of a reward. We'll be saved, but as through fire. That's what God's word says. Then turn ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll read verses 4 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, meaning our physical bodies, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what we do in the body will influence the rewards we receive. It won't influence our salvation. That's already guaranteed for the believer but it will influence the rewards we receive from the hand of our gracious Heavenly Father. Third, in addition to the purpose of this accounting and the rewards of this accounting, let me say something about the motivation of this accounting. The Bible holds out the prospect of heavenly rewards as one motivation for our earthly obedience. It's not the only motivation for obedience, of course, but it is a valid one so long as our motives are pure and centered on the glory of God. One of the reasons we're given in the Bible for why we should obey God is because of the rewards he will graciously give us in response to our spirit-enabled obedience. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Or the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 41 and 42. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones Even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And Luke 19, 15 through 17, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, Your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. 
So part of the motivation of this accounting is that it should spur us on and encourage us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Then, honestly, we don't know exactly what those treasures, those rewards will be. We don't know all the details, but it seems that at the very least, or perhaps at the very most, they will involve having a greater ability to glorify and enjoy God, a larger capacity to be happy in God. Of course, we'll all be able to glorify and enjoy God fully and and be happy in God fully in glory. All of our cups will be full to overflowing, but as Jonathan Edwards famously put it, some cups may be larger than others. Perhaps that's an aspect of what it means that some will have greater rewards than others. But none of us are gonna be jealous of anyone else because there will be no sin in heaven. There's no envy in glory. All of us will be perfectly content and satisfied with how God bestows these gracious rewards and we will all be made perfectly blessed to the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Well, Paul's point, again, is that we shouldn't pass judgment on each other or despise each other. First, because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, so he's the judge, not us. Therefore, we shouldn't pass judgment on each other. And second, because we will all give an account of ourselves to God. So how we treat each other will influence the rewards God graciously gives us in glory. And it's important for us to think rightly about that regarding the purpose of that accounting and the rewards of that accounting and the motivation of that accounting. But at the end of the day, and I'll close with this, like I said at the beginning, as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of the judgment. Because ultimately, we will stand before God cleansed by the blood of Christ and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All who put their trust in Jesus don't have to fear the final judgment of God because Christ already took upon himself on the cross the judgment of God we deserve. He already drank the cup of God's wrath all the way to the bottom. His cup was full of wrath so that our cup could be full of love and joy, full to overflowing. And he has clothed us in his perfect righteousness, his unstainable robe. So we don't have to be afraid of the final judgment because we are cleansed and clothed in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking upon yourself the judgment of God that we know we deserve. Thank you for drinking the cup of God's wrath so that we could forever drink the cup of God's love. And thank you for earning for us a perfect righteousness that is ours, not by our righteousness, but by faith, received by faith alone. Thank you that we can sing together 
Jesus, thy blood and righteousness my beauty are, my glorious dress. We want to think rightly and biblically about this concept of future rewards and how that should influence the way we treat each other in the present. So would you help us with that because that can be confusing for us at times and help us most of all to rest in you and in the fact that we are cleansed and clothed in you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.